now Tamil Nadu's finance minister Mr. P. Tyagarajan uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, today uh, Mr. Tyagarajan uh, to ask you first about the governor a very strongly worded letter has gone from the DMK to the president demanding the governor's removal amongst other things uh, you have accused him of uh, obstructing a democratically elected government and instigating communal hatred can you explain how First, Nidhi, I'd like to make a slight distinction here. I think you cannot exchange, interchange DMK and government of Tamil Nadu in your statements. Unlike certain people like the BJP, we understand the constitutional separation between an elected government and its role on the one hand and a political party on the other. Even if that party happens to be running the administration because of a majority in the legislature or the parliament, it still needs to separate what is the government's view from what is the party's view. So I want to make that distinction because it's crucial to a couple of points. As far as the reservations are concerned, it is the government's view of the government of Tamil Nadu that these are in violation of various aspects of uh, previous Supreme Court judgments and uh, our notion of social justice and so forth. And this is an official communication from the government of Tamil Nadu to the government, I mean, to the uh, appropriate authorities and it will be a government appeal rather than an individual appeal uh, if the review petition is filed. As far as the governor is concerned, it is uh, from not just the DMK party and its MPs, but also all the coalition partners who have made a point and a representation to the president that the functioning of the administration has been uh, thwarted or interrupted or interfered with uh, by the uh, governor. Now, I want to make that distinction again because... Uh, in the Tamil Nadu Legislative Assembly, in the past, there had been debates where the governor was excoriated and, and kind of, uh, you know, um, spoken about in less than uh, decorous terms. And so what had happened was that in the previous uh, DMK-administered uh, government, Atalaga Kalingar had moved a motion in the House that uh, when sitting in government, we shall not uh, have any derogatory discussions, and the House shall always respect the uh, office of the governor. And so as a sitting minister, uh, I can talk about facts, but I'm not uh, going to comment on, uh, you know, allegations or speculation about the governor. But how did it reach this point where you have this letter that, as I said, has been written to the president? Uh, and and how, how have things sort of um, degenerated to this point, this relationship between the state and the governor? Well, again, I'll say one thing with great uh, standing because I'm a, a, a sitting minister in the cabinet of the government. And I'll say one thing more as an individual. Uh, with great standing and qualification, I would say that many of our bills uh, have either not been passed or uh, sat on or not even sent up to Delhi at the appropriate time. And that is a clearly unconstitutional act. Nowhere in the uh, vision of the founders of our country or the framers of the constitution was there room for the personal views of one unelected individual appointed by the union government, uh, by the president on the advice of the union government, to second guess or to have an opinion about legislation that is passed by the elected uh, assembly, a member, you know, an assembly of elected state representatives. In some cases, unanimous resolutions he has sat on for months and months. This is not within the ambit of the role of the governor in any democracy, un unelected, appointed people don't get to make that kind of call. 
you take it to the uh, you know as an individual i'd say one thing i would say that the role of governor is one that should have high dignity and extreme decorum and it's very unseemly for people sitting in the office of governor to start espousing you know philosophical views about you know things that are beyond the constitution or have their own opinion about how society ought to be run etc those are things you can do as a you know street level politician those are not things you're supposed to do sitting as the governor of one of the largest and most industrious states with the second largest economy in the country it's completely unbecoming for that role but when you say that uh, he has instigated communal hatred are there specific examples of that no no I, I, as i say i'm not going as a sitting minister i don't want to get into castigating the governor of the state i'm not going to get into details i've told you uh, you know practically our bills are not getting cleared i can uh, give you a list but are you worried are, are you worried uh, ms uh, tyagrajan that this is not confined to tamil nadu alone we're seeing a, a trend now especially with three southern states tamil nadu kerala telangana where there are ugly confrontations right now between the state government and the office of the governor and therefore what is the larger message that's coming out of that yeah i i would i would just make the observation again you know uh, other people can get to that level of uh, detail i would just make the observation that it is worth noting that these are all states where a uh, the government is not of the bjp and b where the bjp has very little electoral uh, presence if any right hardly in in uh, tamil nadu and kerala you know in the in the few uh, single digit percentages of votes or single digit representatives uh, andhra for that matter or telangana for that matter so i think you know it is uh, it is regrettable that governments which are run excuse me by parties other than the bjp seem to be facing greater interference or greater uh, you know what can i say um, hurdles um, from governors appointed by a bjp union government uh on the issue of reservations uh again this is something that most political parties in the country have welcomed uh, as you said the the state government of tamil nadu has taken a position on the issue of uh, reservations based on economic criteria but what do you say to those uh, including the court which believes that uh, in in a sense the criteria for reservations has to change with time and therefore if it was based on socially backward groups uh, uh, at one point it needs to look at economically weaker sections as well yeah i uh, i apologize i have to run to the airport i'll just make four points uh, all concrete points with data the first is that it's hard for you to eradicate the effects of 1000 years of caste bias uh, in 75 years of independence so i think this notion that you know hypothetically at some point it should change uh, i agree but the, the the point is you know probably many years away the second uh, there is complete disparity in various judgments of the courts at different points uh, where the supreme court has held in the past that economic criteria alone cannot be the basis of any resolution and there are many uh, you know precedent judgments that have been overturned or contradicted by this judgment that gives uh, you know reservations above the 50% third the number of 8 lakhs is just a completely outrageous egregious number right in the country there are about 50 million people that filed returns and about 17 million 1.7 crore of them actually pay income tax considering what the income tax level is 
basically 8 lakhs is hugely beyond the weakest sections of society. We are a country where the per capita income is about 1 lakh 35,000 rupees and where the, the income tax rate already is set effectively at about 5 lakh rupees. Now you say that there are only 17 people paying actual taxes, 17 million people, and you have a reservation of 10% for effectively the same level of income up to the same level of income, where on the other side you say that's the creamy layer and you exclude them from the OBC and, and other uh, reservations. So what you have carved out, and many people have shown us this, what you have carved out is that there's a 10% quota for about 3 or 4% of the population that can apply, and all of them are relatively well off. Now, the last point I'll make is, this becomes evident when you look at the few instances where they have already implemented this, where the cutoff marks for the EWS are almost always lower than the BC cutoff marks, and in other places where, uh, in some cases, we have seen, they're actually lower than the SC cutoff marks. So effectively, you have created a lower hurdle for people who could be earning 8 lakhs a year, which is four times, more than four times the per capita income, and much higher than the income tax level, of which only 1% or 1.8% of our country pays income taxes in the first place. So this design is structurally flawed if your ambition was really to focus on the truly economically weak. I would say these are the four reasons we're against. All right, as you said, it doesn't really benefit the truly economically weak and you can't, uh, uh, in a sense, wish away uh, caste-based discrimination that's been there for centuries either. Dr. Tyagrajan, thanks very much for joining us today on those two important issues. Thank you. Thank you very much.